the still small voice. And we're looking at First Kings 19 tonight under this uh, heading. Words can have a tremendous impact. Uh, impact for good, impact for bad. And we're all listening to words or reading words. And the challenge for us is to allow the, the right words to have the right impact on our lives. And not to allow the wrong words to have the wrong impact. Now in these stories in First Kings with Elijah, there's been a, a great emphasis on God's word. Sadly, the people of Israel had rejected God's word and had listened instead to the wrong words of false prophets. So for a period of time, they not only experienced a drought of water, they experienced a drought of God's word as God's prophet was in hiding. When Elijah had announced the drought to Ahab, he told him that it would not rain again except by his word. This was really a contest because Baal was supposed to be the god of rain, among other things. So Elijah is saying it's only with the word of the prophet, the word of God, that it would rain again. So after the great victory at Carmel, Elijah announces to Ahab that it was going to rain again. And it did rain, showing the supremacy of God's word over the false god Baal that the people had foolishly turned to. And the whole purpose of the drought, of the victory at Mount Carmel, of the return of the rain at the Lord's command, was to turn the people back to the Word of God, to turn the people back to hear the voice of God in their lives. But just at the moment of apparent victory, there is this unexpected twist in the story. And so, as we look at this this evening, the first thing we're going to see are the words that terrify in verses 1 to 4. Now, as we say there, Jezebel, she was absolutely furious at what had happened at Mount Carmel. Although the truth about God was proved beyond contention, instead of her being humble, she is full of resistance and hatred to the true God. And in Jezebel, we see the the true nature of human heart, which will be true of every human heart if it's not touched by grace, which despite tremendous evidence, will still resist the word of God and the will of God. Her words are full of venom and determination. And we see in verse 2, she says, she sent a messenger, Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, one of the prophets who had been killed, by this time tomorrow. Yes, these words are terrible. But remember, Elijah has just proved the power of God at Mount Carmel. In the face of King Ahab, in the face of 850 false prophets, he has won the victory. And these prophets have been killed. So what is he to fear? What is he to fear from the words of one woman? 
Well, look at verse 3. It says, Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He's terrified. And he runs that journey of about 100 miles right down into Judah, out of the territory of Ahab and Jezebel, and then goes a day's journey further into the desert. It seems he's just panicking. He just wants to get away as far as possible. But why? How can the, the man of Carmel, the man who called down far from heaven, how can the man of Carmel now be such a man of fear and runs like this? Was it the reputation of Jezebel who had already killed many prophets? I don't know, because Elijah's been involved in just the killing of 850 false prophets, so he was not a, he wasn't by any way a, a weak sort of man. Was it maybe tiredness? After the great exploit at Mount Carmel, and, and then he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel in front of Ahab's chariot, a, a distance of 30 miles, more than a marathon, he ran. Has he just become exhausted? I think those things could be factors, and we can discuss and debate many of those things. But the crucial thing is this. Elijah, the prophet of God. Elijah, the prophet of God's word, was listening to the voice of Jezebel rather than the voice of God. That was the problem. Remember before when Elijah went, first of all, to the brook Cherif, and then he went to the widow of Sarephath? Each time it clearly said the Lord told him to do. God guided him. There's none of that here. So instead of when Jezebel confronted him seeking the Lord, he just listens to her voice and he responds to her voice. And this is one of the, our greatest challenges for us all, that we listen to the voice of the world rather than the voice of God. And particularly in this day of amazing communication, this is such a danger. There are so many voices we can hear. And although God may be speaking, God's voice can quickly be drowned out by so many louder voices all around us. And we need to be aware of that. The kids are going to learn a wee memory verse in the Good News Club. Be still and know that I am God. And you know, we maybe need more times of stillness. The TV, the radio, the tablet, the phone off. Times where we shut out the voices of the world and just spend time with the voice of God. And we can see the result here of Elijah listening to the voice of the world, the voice of evil in Jezebel. He runs, he abandons his post, and he's brought to despair. Verse 4, he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord, take away my life, 
for I am no better than my fathers. The Welsh preacher Derek Thomas, in speaking of Elijah here and his feelings, he said his feelings were not just about his own life, but he feels he was at a sense of despair because the cause was lost. And to know this can be a real challenge in Christian service and can cause many of us to despair. We can feel so depressed and we can feel as if, oh, what's the point? And we can drop out of our responsibilities. When I was a member of Armagh Presbytery, one of the most encouraging people in that presbytery was Dr. W.M. Craig. Uh, at that stage, he was a man in his 90s. And uh, Armagh Presbytery was a lot more cultured than Balamina. We had a cup of coffee in the middle of our meetings uh, every month. And you could just see Dr. Craig he just went around every young minister to have a wee word. And sometimes when we may be discouraged, particularly the wider church, he would say, gentlemen, think of where it used to be. Think of far we have come. Just keep going on. Elijah needed someone like that. But Elijah, he abandons his post. He runs from Israel, the country where he's called to be a prophet, the voice of the world has distracted him. He hasn't listened to the voice of God. So we have their words that terrify. But then we have words that sustain in verses 5 to 8. Elijah needs guidance. But even more than that, I think Elijah here, he just needs to know that someone cared. And at this point, he got this from the angel sent by the Lord. He just needed to know that he wasn't alone. He wasn't abandoned. There are times when we need wisdom. There are times we need great truths and doctrine. And that time would come for Elijah. He would learn more lessons from the Lord. But there are times when we just need to know that there is a God in heaven who cares. I think particularly at a time of bereavement, we need to be very careful about being very wise. I think generally in situations where people are in crisis, be very careful about being too wise. Sometimes people just need to know that you're there and that you care. You think of the story of Jesus coming to Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes to Martha and speaks about being the resurrection and the life. Obviously, that's what Martha needed, that hope that came from the truth of who Jesus was. But Mary was different. Mary seemed to be even more hurt. She was the one who particularly was close to Jesus, and when she heard he come, she didn't go out to him straight away. But when she did come out to Jesus, there's no theology. There are just the tears of the Savior. And we have that shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And there are times where we just need, a, in a sense, that hug and knowing that the everlasting arms are around us and that he cares. 
as well as knowing that God cared, Elijah particularly needed at this point two very practical things. He needed food. He needed rest. He needed his body being looked after, and that's what he gets here. He gets the food, he gets the rest, and then the food again. And you know, many of the challenging situations we face in life can be helped with good food, good rest, and good exercise. I sound like my old doctor growing up, Dr. McFerry in Europe. He wasn't a great man for dosing out the pills, but good food, good rest, good exercise, he regularly repeated. And you know, we are linked, body and soul, and body and soul to mind. We're, we're linked, and you know, if we look after our bodies, it helps us in how we think in so many other areas of life. We are called to serve the Lord in these bodies. And we have to cope with these bodies until the Lord calls us to glory. And our bodies need to be cared for. They need to be cared for if we're going to be fit for service and not unnecessarily cast down. So Elijah, he eats and drinks and then he sleeps. Then he's called to eat and drink again. Look at verse 7, what the angel says. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now that's absolutely amazing. Do you see that? He gets this meal and goes for 40 days and 40 nights on that meal. I'd love to know what was in that food uh, that he got there. But this was the Lord's grace and the Lord's provision. Here we see a man, when he's back in the will of God, back listening to the voice of God, he's a man that can cope and be sustained. Now, a 40-day journey at this point seems strange for a weary man to be asked to undertake. But there is a crucial point here. Although his physical needs were important and his physical needs need to be met, he needed to be cared for physically. His spiritual needs were greater. Horeb, also known as Sinai, was the place of God meeting with Moses. God meeting with Moses with the Mosaic Covenant. It's a place where God really revealed himself for the first time to the nation of Israel. And in a sense, Elijah had to go back to the basics, back to the beginning. He had to be spiritually refreshed. And so, while we need to be physically refreshed and care for our bodies, we also need to remind ourselves that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Spiritual refreshment is even more important. And you know, there's a, when we think of caring for ourselves physically, there's a wee danger here, and we have to be careful of this. Does that mean every time I'm tired, I don't go to a service? Every time I'm tired, I don't go to midweek or the prayer meeting or the Bible study? One of the things we need to be aware is that the flesh, our fallen nature, will always naturally recoil against 
the spiritual. That's why when we're maybe alert and take out our Bibles to read and to pray and suddenly we get tired, the fallen nature recoils against it. So we have to resist, we have to battle against it. The situation here for Elijah when he just had the rest, this was a man I was within. So this is not an excuse to neglect spiritual exercises. Yes, we need to look after our bodies. We need to look after our bodies physically so that we can engage in the spiritual exercise. That's what was happening to Elijah. His body was being looked after so that he then could be spiritually refreshed. What about the 40 days and 40 nights here? Isn't it interesting? Why 40? 40, day, 40 years in the wilderness for the children of Israel. 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus. When he said those words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like why is that we detail of 40 put in here? I think it is to draw us to Jesus. Here's 40 days traveling through the wilderness with Elijah. Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness. I think the message is here. Jesus is the one who has come to be with us in our days in the wilderness. In the days when we're isolated. In the days when we're struggling. In the days when we are despairing and discouraged. Jesus comes to walk beside us. Surely that's why that detail is there, to point us to Jesus, that he has left glory to come down and to be with us in these days of trial. How wonderful a thought that is. And you know, we can maybe be hard on Elijah, and I don't think we have any reason to be hard on Elijah. He was a great man of God. But we have far more advantage than Elijah. Because we have the New Testament, we have the Gospels, we have the teaching about God's Son, what He is like as He walked with man, what He has done for us. That should encourage us so much more. Words that terrify, words that sustain, and then thirdly, words that restore in verses 9 to 18. Here, Elijah unburdens himself to the Lord in verse 10. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown on your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I even, I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Was that true? Remember Obadiah had hid a hundred prophets? Were they still living? Or were they still in hiding? We don't know fully. But what was the purpose here of this great display? What was the purpose of the wind, the earthquake, and the fire? And then God coming in the still, small voice. Well, I think the wind, the earthquake, and fire were reminders that God's power had not diminished one tiny little bit from Mount Carmel. God's power was still the same. But the fact that God was not speaking in these powerful actions, but rather in this still, small voice, 
Yes, I think it speaks of the tenderness of God to a struggling servant. But I think more importantly, it shows that God was at work in quiet ways, which often people do not observe. Elijah's cry was that he was the last one. But down to verse 18, the Lord says, There are still 7,000 faithful people who have not bowed the knee or kissed Baal. Elijah thought he was the last one. He thought the cause was ruined. But the Lord had 7,000 faithful servants still in Israel. God was doing a work which most people could not see. And I think this is absolutely wonderful for us. This reminds us as we serve that so much of what God is doing is not seen by us. What the Lord is doing now, what the Lord will do in the future, what the Lord is doing in the lives of so many people, we don't know about. But we can be sure of this, that he is building his kingdom, that Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God is working in ways that are absolutely marvelous. God was doing a work in Israel which Elijah could not see. Now, yes, we need to be faithful. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to, be, to listen to God's word and be led by that word. We need to share God's word. We need to have confidence that God is working and his word will not return to him empty. And I think this should really encourage us. The still, small voice. It should really encourage us never to undervalue the small things. You know, I think in our modern mentality, and there's so many people have been swept away by this, it's all about numbers, numbers, numbers. And I, I'm not saying numbers are not important because numbers are actually people and souls which need to be touched by God. But so often the way God works is not in the great crowds. It's not in the great meetings with great numbers. It's so often God works in the one-to-one -one conversation, in the small Sunday school class, in the small GB Bible study group. So often God works in these smaller things. I, I think of probably one of the most productive things in my time here in Brookside have been some of the Christianity Explored courses we have done. Now, after the first one we did many years ago, the other ones have been small with small numbers. And yet those, I believe, have been so, so productive in people's lives. The point is, never think that because something isn't big, never think that because numbers aren't large, it doesn't matter. I was a youth fellowship leader for many years, and often the average attendance was sort of between six to eight in the youth fellowship. And one of the things that just kept me going was, who knows, there could be the next George Whitfield or the next D.L. Moody or the next Billy Graham among those numbers. Who knows what the Lord is doing? Because so often God's ways are not the showy ways, but the quiet ways. 
you think of Jesus, happy for his disciples to go into the Samaritan village when he had that quiet word with the woman at the well. And what fruit would come from that conversation? Do not despise the small things. Elijah is being encouraged that the Lord has been at work. The Lord is continuing to be at work. And he is now encouraged that his work is not finished. He is to anoint Hazael and Jehu and then Elisha to their positions of responsibility. Now, in a sense, with the anointing of Elisha, was this a, a rap on the knuckles for Elijah? In the anointing of Elisha, was he saying, Elijah, you have messed up, your time is over, I'm going to bring in the younger person to take over. Uh, was the Lord saying that? There might be a part of that. There might be part of that. But the, Elijah still had a work to do. And I think what Elijah was discovering in this, which we each need to discover, that ultimately when it comes to the building of the kingdom, the building of the church, what is most important is not us. It's not what we do. We, can't, we are not people who can't be done without. What is most important is the Lord. What is most important is what God is doing and what God will continue to do. And so when we're weak and we're frail, we're discouraged, it's not a time to give in. It's a time to remind ourselves, yes, we have responsibility. Yes, we're called to be faithful. But ultimately, this is God's work. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And God will prevail, no matter how weak and frail we are. I remember as a young minister, in a situation where there hadn't been much by way of sacramental discipline, going the first time to visit a couple about their, getting their child baptized. And to my knowledge, this was a couple who had previous children baptized, but they weren't Christians, to my knowledge. And you know, as I was driving to the house, uh, I was terrified. I was terrified. But as I prayed on the way, it was just this sense came to me from the Lord. This is my work. This is my work. And out of that family, which were not professing Christians at the time, out of that family has come one of the brightest Christians in that church by God's grace. We have an amazing God. We have a God who is so wonderful. When we are discouraged, let's remind ourselves of who he is and what he does. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your word, and we all get discouraged. Maybe, maybe it's 
the word of a, a Jezebel which has really discouraged us and cut us. Maybe it's a lack of enthusiasm. Maybe it's small numbers turning up for things. Maybe it's a sense of a lack of power among us. There are so many things to discourage. But Father, we thank you that at the end of the day, what Elijah needed most to know was that God is God and that God would prevail. And Father, we think of how among your people of Israel, the true religion was not wiped out. A remnant persevered even through the years of exile, through the years of return, through the years of darkness between the Testaments. And then from that remnant came one who would be the Messiah, the Savior. And Father, we are here today as a testimony to the fact that you would not be defeated by Jezebel or Ahab. And you're continuing to build your church. And we praise you for that. May we not lose heart. May we, in the so many voices of this world, hear your voice more clearly than ever. The still small voice. The assuring voice. And may we persevere in the work of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.